Hello, and welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast, designed to give you more joy, less fear, and no end to the evidence that a bright future is possible. This podcast will give you a fresh perspective on the world around you. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of progress, well underway around the globe, that we're calling a conspiracy of goodness. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we've been restoring people's hope in the future by writing thousands of articles about the insight and innovation going uncelebrated in our world. And along the way, we've been having incredible conversations with thought leaders who we're now sharing on this podcast. So today I'm going to chat with Dr. Dan Diamond. Dr. Diamond has been a renowned thought leader in what leadership looks like in emergencies. He's become a first responder to disasters across the globe, from Hurricane Katrina to the Haitian earthquake. And most recently, he responded to a typhoon in the Philippines. And these kinds of acts of nature bring out the best, and I'm sure could bring out the worst in us. But Dr. Diamond is focusing on the best and these human impulses to help. And that's why I'm talking to him today, because this podcast is all about what we do next with the best that's in our human nature. So Dr. Diamond, welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate it. And I just want to say how much I appreciate what you're doing. I think you're doing amazing work and we need more than ever to have somebody to say, hey, look at that and change our view from this negative focus that seems to be overtaking so many people. So thank you for what you're doing. I'm excited for our conversation today. Well, I'll tell you what actually happened. I'm so transparent with people, Dan, is that you and I got on a conversation yesterday that went for almost two hours. It was was the greatest time. And I said, oh my gosh, this wonder of a human being has to enlighten us all about how you make the best in a bad situation. Because we're, of course, we're all experiencing one of the greatest upheavals in a hundred years around the world. And I want you to share with us enough of your background, because you have a fascinating background, to get us up to speed on how we take some of your perspective and magic and put it in place in our own lives in these kind of times. Because personal leadership is something that we're all being called to exercise almost every single day. So go for it. Bring us up to speed on how you and I came to be talking. Well, I think the important part that everybody wants to leave out of my introduction is that I used to be a street mime in Seattle. Oh. And that, yeah, that's how I made my money going through medical school. Okay. And it was a good deal because if you're not any good, you don't make money. But I was, this was like 37 years ago. I was making 25 bucks an hour just put my hat out. I, I had it down. Whoa. And, and I, what I learned was the importance of telling really good stories. Uh, even though I didn't use words. So it's not like I can show you an example on a podcast that doesn't work so well. But um, I found that that background actually became very important in how I respond to disasters around the world. And, you know, it's interesting. When I worked in a refugee camp in Thailand for three months in my fourth year of medical school. And I thought, well, I'll do a little street mime for these guys while I'm here. I mean, not at the very beginning, but towards the end of my stay and when I knew everybody and I was just kind of part of the family. By the way, the prices go down after you've been there for a while. They're like, oh, you're actually part of us now. So the prices drop in half. <laughs> but, um, it was fascinating because they couldn't see mime. 
all they could see was my hands. So if I made an invisible wall or an invisible object, they couldn't see it. All they saw was my hands. So it was fascinating to see how they perceive differently than we do in our culture. And not everybody sees the world the same way that we see it. And if we, you know, we can take that forward now and just look at all the stuff that's going on. You know, I recently had a major, major, major epiphany about a little over a year ago where I realized that the world does not necessarily occur to everyone else the same way that it does to me. Mm-hmm. I see the world through old white guy eyes because mm-hmm. that's what I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, they used to be young white guy eyes, but they're getting older now. But my perspective is not necessarily the same as everybody else's. And as I'm becoming more curious, not, not you know, trying not to be judgmental, like how come you don't see it like me, but to come alongside people that are different than me and say, hey, what's it look like from over there? Because you're seeing a different, completely different perspective than I am. If I assume that my way is reality and that's it, period, I make mistakes. Uh-huh. And if I do that in a disaster zone, it can cost people their lives. Uh-huh. So I usually tell my, my staff, you know, we, there's a group of us. I, I deploy with Medical Teams International based out of Portland, Oregon. And there's a group of us that are on the roster for these first response teams. And we've all been specifically trained on how to go in and stay safe and do all that stuff. But we don't always deploy with the same people. It's usually a different group every time. So we meet at the airport. And I'm usually the team lead because I'm the old dude. And so I'll say, hey, let's just have a little huddle here. We go around, tell each other our names and stuff. But then I say, here's what I know. I can only see with these eyes. And you have heaps of experience and insights. And if you see me doing something and you're going, what the heck? You might not want to step on that thing that's sticking out of the dirt. Please tell me before I blow my leg off. I'm not the guy that shows up with all the answers, but together we have a collective wisdom and a tremendous amount of experience. The six of us that went into Haiti had a couple hundred years of disaster experience. So, you know, it was like, why would I not want to tap into that? And it's arrogant for me to show up and go, yeah, I know everything. I'm the leader. I've been doing this for a long time. No way. Mm -hmm. I'm eager to learn and show up with curiosity. You know, that is one of the things I've noticed um, is really rising to the top now. We've got a lot of folks, you know, sort of paralyzed with fear about the pandemic or just overwhelmed and apathetic. And the ones who seem to be thriving, you know, that 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 word thrive comes through a lot of your work and, and mine too. The ones that seem to be thriving are the people who were quick to put on their, their track shoes and just go out into the world and get curious about what's possible now. Tell me a good story that comes to mind in your many experiences where somebody got curious and came up with a totally different outcome. Well, we could talk about my own model when I'm talking about thrivers and bystanders and controllers and victims. Mm-hmm. You know, and I created this model to explain why it is that people respond differently. It's not four different types of people in my model. It's four different types of mindset. Okay. And that's huge because I think models are helpful until they're not. And they're not. It, this is not a, a helpful thing to say, oh, that's just a controller over there. You know how they are. 
you know, like everybody wants to, to, in medicine, they always say, oh, the surgeons, yeah, you know, they are all control. No, that's not helpful. Right. Because sometimes I'm a controller. Sometimes I'm a victim and I show up and I say, I don't have any power and nobody's looking out for me. And then sometimes I want to be a bystander, just stand on the sidelines. My heart's in the right place. And I'm going, oh my gosh, somebody should do something for these poor people. And it never occurs to me that it should be me. And then there's the thrivers that say, well, I have the power to make a difference. It's not about me and I don't care who gets the credit. So on the vertical axis, it's all about power, the powerful and the powerless. And on the horizontal axis, it's all about givers and takers. So the victims in the lower left are the powerless takers. The bystanders in the lower right are the powerless givers. The controllers are in the upper left on this model are the powerful takers. And the thrivers are the powerful givers. And I was sharing this with a friend of mine. I, I want to I add that we will put this diagram, if you'll allow us, in the show Doctor, notes. Will you allow course. us? Yeah, it's very powerful. Dan showed it to me yesterday and it's hard when he's trying to create a mental picture here. But once you see it, you will say, aha, and you will find your role in different situations. So carry on. Yeah, as long as you don't use it to go start labeling other people. No, no, absolutely. Look at this model. You're such a jerk. You're a controller. What's wrong with you? No, no. It's a a lens for self-reflection, for sure. Totally. Yeah, the, the controller mindset. When we were in New Orleans, there were people that were shooting at the rescue people. And I'm thinking, you know, in disasters, it's so clear. You can see because everything is raw. It's right out there. And I'm hearing these stories about people shooting at the relief workers and saying, you're just dumb as a board. You're shooting right at people that you're dependent upon for your own survival. You should be throwing them candy and money and stuff, not bullets. Who would do that, idiots? You deserve to die. You know, I was pretty judgmental. Yes. And then one day, my there was I think there's this little part in my brain that, that has a little tiny hand and it raises its hand and goes, hey, hey, you ever shoot a comment at your wife? I went, oh, dang. Yeah. Do you ever shoot? You ever shoot a look at your kids? Said, yeah. You ever shoot an email at somebody that worked for you and it was all about you? Said, yeah. So I don't shoot bullets at people, but I shoot plenty of other things. So sometimes I use the controller mindset. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Really not helpful, especially if I'm shooting at people that I depend upon for my own survival. Makes no sense. But this thriver is the the powerful giver that says, I have the power to make a difference. It's not about me. I don't care who gets the credit. And I was showing this model to a friend of mine who's a woman, and she's another professional speaker. And we were comparing stuff, and I was telling, showing her, and I drew this whole model out. And she said, oh, Diamond, this is amazing. You've obviously put a ton of time into this. And I had probably at that point 100 hours maybe in, into designing that model, finding the right words, changing it, rearranging it, running it by people. She said, this is amazing. This is easily transferable. It will, it's so helpful for people. This is a phenomenal white guy model. <laughs> oh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah. All right. So tell me more. Tell me more. And she said, well, you know, this this horizontal axis that you have where it's a giver and a taker. If you're a guy and you give 10%, the whole world says, oh, that Dan Diamond, he's so giving. But if you're a woman and you give 110%, then everybody goes, well, you know. It was like I had this blinders taken off and I saw my own model completely new. I said, you're com- you're 100% right. Every cell in my body nodded at the same time and went, yep. But I would have never ever seen that if you hadn't showed me. So I, it was an epiphany to realize that if I want to understand the world with depth, I need to spend time with people that are different than I am. 
Like, mm-hmm. and I can tell you more stories. She's radically different than I am in so many ways. Oh my God. But, to, but to come alongside people that are different and say, help me to understand what does it look like? Mm-hmm. You know, I think if, if, it's like the eyeballs on your face. They're proximate. They're right next to each other. They each give you a little bit different view. And because you have two eyes, you can see with depth perception. So if you want to have depth perception on a subject, find somebody that's radically different than you are. Yes. Like radically different. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons why diversity is so important and inclusion is so important. I, I love, love, love the work by Brian Stevenson. He's one of my all-time heroes. And I think more than any single word... The word that he uses has had a profound impact on my thinking. The word that Brian Stevenson uses that I think is so powerful is proximity. We can't fix problems that we have in our society right now by saying, oh, you know, those people over there. And I don't care which labels you want to use. Just those people are different than I am or those people over there. As long as we're doing that, how are we going to get a breakthrough? What we need to do is walk over there and say, hey, my name's Dan, and you and I are different, and I think that's kind of cool. So could I just sit with you and ask you questions? Because I really want to understand what the world looks like from your perspective and have you teach me. And it's such a delight to sit with people that are different and walk away going, huh, hadn't thought about that one. I mean, it doesn't work to sit down and argue. Just sit down and say, help me to understand. Tell me more. I like the three, two, one, zero questions. You know these? No, tell me. Three-word question, tell me more. Two-word question, what else? One-word question, and? And then the no-word question is just a gesture of, this is where, listening to a podcast, you have to fill this in. Can you picture me going, Sort of more. What do you? What else you got? Sort of a humble plea for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, encouraging. You know what I love about that is something that we talk a lot about on Everwinding Circles in in all the the things that we're doing is preserving other people's dignity. When you get proximity, that really gave me goosebumps yesterday when we were talking about all the things that are possible. You know, when you show up on a scene, you've got people that are experts in their own community whose hair is on fire. <laughs> and you're, you're going to look to them as experts. You're going to look to a child because they look at things with such simple eyes who, who may turn out to be the genius in, in solution finding. Tell me, tell me how that exact, I'm sure you practice that in an instant when you arrive on the scene, right? The tell me more, the what else, and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, the, and the, the interesting thing is, this took me a while to figure this out, to understand that I don't know. It, it's so easy to come in as the arrogant American that thinks that he knows what's going on. You know, like we've got, I've got really good training. I've got years and years and years now of experience But for me to come into a community and say, well, I know exactly what you need is dangerous and wrong. So if I come in and say, we're going to do things completely different than your doctor or your medical worker that is taking care of your your village or your your little community here, we're going to teach you a better way. And this is how we're going to do it. When I leave, because we tend to stay, my team tends to stay for two weeks or so. And we will bring in reinforcements if it's a major disaster and we might be there doing work for a year. But when we finally leave, 
the community will think, oh, I wish those American doctors would come back. They know so much. And, and our local person's kind of a loser. <laughs> our, our local person's second best. What we want to do is we want to come in and say, oh, my gosh, we travel all over the world, and you are very fortunate to have this person as your local health worker. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. The amount of compassion that they have and, and what they've done is extraordinary. You should be so proud of them. If I don't do that, I'm I'm coming in and causing troubles, yeah. and, and I will leave the place worse. So my goal is reinforce the existing infrastructure that's there, mm-hmm. elevate them, celebrate them, and brag about them to their own community. And I'm very intentional about doing that. And then we work within their framework of, you know, we'll sit down and say, here's the experience that we've had. You know, you've got 100 people sitting outside your door right now. You know, we typically find that it's helpful to kind of sort them out into levels of severity and then take the, the most serious one for, ones first. What are your thoughts about doing that? Would that work? Because sometimes it won't because it depends on who's out there and how they fit within their system. So, you know, maybe there's a caste system mm-hmm. that I'm not going to come in and be able to change that. Mm-hmm. No way. But I can work within it and say, well, how about if we split our team and one half of the team works with the upper caste people, the other half of the team works with the, with the common people, and we can still triage within that. But, you know, I have to listen. Uh, you know, like in Haiti, we get to the hospital and they say, don't give away the crutches that you brought because we, we, we'll bring in a lot of supplies when we come in. They said, yeah, don't give them away. So we don't charge for our stuff. They said, you have to charge. Yeah, but that's not what we do. We don't charge. So we gave away crutches. And you know what happened is people that didn't need crutches showed up to get the crutches so they could take them to the market and sell them. So we had to sell the crutches for five bucks. That w- and it stopped that black market trafficking that was going on on crutches. Who'd have thunk? You know, it's like so listening to the local people is really, 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 really important. Mm-hmm. And another, you know, a disaster that I'm itching to tell you about is uh, the Philippines and Tacloban because it was radically different than any other disaster that I've done anywhere. And I've done a bunch of them. The Philippines, my jaw is permanently disconnected from my face because it hit the floor and shattered. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> well, I'm itching to hear all about it. And I'm sure yeah, everybody you're, else is. You're Dennis, you want to know if my teeth still are aligned. Yes, they are. Hey, everyone. Dr. Linda here. I wanted to let you know that we just released my book, Happiness is an option. In the book, I share insights you can use immediately to thrive in the era of the internet. Life is too short. What we are seeing on the internet, social media, and the news is only a slice of reality. But there are four simple shifts you can make to start seeing the rest of the story. And that story can send you soaring every day. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or by going to the website for the book, happieroption.com. So thanks so much for supporting us this way too. So tell me about the experience in the Philippines. I understand it was devastation at a whole different level. Yeah, the Philippines was different than any other disaster. In fact, every disaster that I respond to, I try to give it one word when I come back. So when I'm filing them away in my brain, I file them under the word. Like Katrina, the word was bizarre. Haiti, the word was devastating. It took me 
three or four months to recover from Haiti. I just start would start crying out of the, the blue. My best buddy won't go with me to Haiti or go on any more disasters since Haiti because it was so devastating for him. The Philippines had to have two words, and the two words were tender mercy because the Philippines was radically different. You know, this was a huge disaster. They had, you know, this massive storm came through, and there was a tidal surge. And when the tidal surge came through, it tossed the, the container ships up on the shore, and it just squeegeed the homes right off of their foundation. There was just dirt where there used to be homes. There was so much devastation, and so many people lost their lives, lost all their belongings, lost family members, lost their pets, their everything. And yet, when the wind stopped blowing, they were at each other's houses. I saw it over and over again. It would be kind of like, hey, Linda, are you okay? Are your family members okay? Everybody's good? We're all, you know, we're cooking some rice. Why don't you guys all come over and we'll figure out whose house we're going to rebuild first? There's a big emphasis in the Philippines on we instead of me. And when they took those cargo ships, they chopped the bow off of one of them, removed the entire rest of the ship, left the bow there and built it into a museum and rebuilt the community around the bow so they could celebrate the fact that they came back. And it's magnificent. If you go on my website at dandiamondmd.com and click on media, you'll see the, the video that I shot from the helicopters when we were doing these heli clinics. And you can see how much devastation there was. And then go back and look at the video that they created. And the video is called Takloban. It's the name of the city. Takloban, the happiest people in the world. And this was six years after the disaster. Only six years. How do you do that? Well, you don't do that by focusing on all the destruction and saying, this sucks. Our, my, our lives are over as we know it. This is, you know, how are we going to ever recover? This is not, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They said, where do we want to end up? We want to end up, our rallying cry is going to be Tak Loban, the happiest people in the world. What does it look like if that's who we become? How do we do that? It was Christine Romaldas, the mayor led with effort. It was such a beautiful idea. She's one of my all-time life heroes. How do you take that situation that is so devastating and come back? You do it by saying, it's not about me, it's about we. And we see ourselves as being the happiest people in the world. <laughs> oh, oh, this stuff works. You begin with the end in mind. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you'd say, you know, I had a had just a terrible life I was trying to mow my lawn and ran out of gas and so i think i can tell you how to do your life because sometimes we all run out of gas i mean you're going come on dude get a story well look at the philippines because they're not coming from this place of this was not a big deal this was devastating it's like victor frankel you know, Austrian psychiatrist captured by the Nazis, spent seven years in the concentration camps. And he says, no one can take away your right to choose how you're going to respond. He talks about this idea between stimulus and response. There's a space. And in that space is our ability to choose. And that's where we find our growth and our freedom. Gone. You got the cred to talk about that. You earned the right because if you haven't suffered, you can't talk about suffering. But if you've been seven years in the concentration camps, you got my ear. If you just lost your entire city, 
Mayor Romaldez, you have my ear. I want to know how you how do you do it? How'd you pull it off? Takloba, the happiest people in the world, is how she pulled that off. It's phenomenal. So, if we were to try and extrapolate some gifts in that story for us right now, you know, I've noticed in my own practice chatting with people that there are folks who really the they started to have to work from home, but otherwise life went on as normal. And then there's this other huge population. Even I was among the unemployed for 10 weeks. I would have never thought a dentist would have been unemployed. <laughs> never in my life would I have thought my husband and I would both. And millions of people like us that never thought they'd be unemployed. So there's this, there's this, there's a shared experience that we're all going through. And then there's what you say, what you're talking about is some people up in the hills, I'm sure in the Philippines had a big mess to clean up for several weeks, but boy, the people that whose homes were in the way of those ships that's, that were like a squeegee on the shore, two different experiences. What, what, what brings people together in those kind of circumstances? Well, you know, my theme, <laughs> my theme is what does unstoppable love look like? I love this. You know, and, and so I'm continually taking myself back to what does unstoppable love look like? And even though I'm a disaster doc, let me just be transparent and say, I have spent my fair share of time sitting on the edge of my bed at 3.30 in the morning going, oh, this is not good. This is bad stuff we're going through. You know, and then the conversation usually goes, if I just unscrew my head and let you look inside, the conversation usually goes something like, Diamond, good grief. Dude, you're a disaster, Doc. Buck up. Go back to sleep. This is ridiculous. Don't be stupid. And then I started reading about self-compassion. And it's a much better way than, dude, go back to sleep. Buck up. You're a disaster, Doc. That didn't work, by the way. Mm -hmm. I just got more angry and scared at the same time. Self-compassion. Yeah, self-compassion. So I, what I did is I said, hey, sounds like you're kind of hurting right now and that you're suffering. Step number one, acknowledge that you're hurting. Said, yeah, yeah, this is pretty scary. You know, my wife's immunocompromised. What if I lose her? What if I die? I'm not excited about this. This is not good. Yeah, I'm hurting and I'm kind of scared. Oh, huh. You know, can I show up for myself with kindness? Can I show up with curiosity? So why are you feeling that way, do you think? What is it about this that's getting you? Well, I just don't, it feels like I don't know what to do. You know, I've done disasters before, but I could always come home and it was safe at home and here it's not safe. So yeah, that's got to be tough, huh? Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's no place for me to rest. And I'm feeling really tired. But yeah, no wonder you're tired, man. Your brain's going 100 miles an hour trying to solve this thing and trying to triage and figure out how you're going to put a plan in place and take care of your family and, their, and your friends and getting all this conflicting news and all these emotional stuff and, you know, all this stuff that's not nice that's coming at us on the media and social media. It's like so much bickering and nastiness. Yeah, no wonder you're kind of hurting right now. And then the second thing is to say, you know, you're not alone. I said, yeah, I suspect there's at least 2,500 people sitting on the edge of their bed right now at 3.30 in the morning somewhere in the world going, dang. <laughs> so I could see myself there. But, you know, acknowledging that I was suffering, being kind to myself, and then realizing that this is pretty normal. You know, if you're waking up, and not waking up, but at the end of the day, if you're sitting in your chair and you're so stinking tired that you can't get, feel like you can't get out of your chair, you're normal. If you're feeling like, lately I've really had a hard time concentrating, normal. 
lately I've been forgetting names. Like they just have fallen out of my head. Like that whole part of my brain must have just undergone liquefaction necrosis and fallen apart. I can't remember names. Normal. Normal. We're all going through this together. I tell people it's like trying to think. (laughs) Parents will understand it this way. It's like trying to think when you've got a screaming toddler in your arms. You cannot load the dishwasher. (laughs) You're going to break a lot of dishes. Yeah. Yeah, this is the way it feels. Be kind to yourself. Acknowledge that you're suffering. Be kind. Realize that we're all going through this together. Mm -hmm. So let's not play this game of, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great. So then everybody thinks, yeah, I'm the only one that's suffering. I I promise you, you are not the only one that's suffering with this. We are in this together. If, If I'm suffering as a disaster doc and I'm a highly trained disaster specialist, blah, blah. Nah, I'm still a person just like you and you're not alone. We're in this together. So Dan, we can't get to this part in this conversation without giving people a super practical bit of whatever, however you think of this. So people are always interviewing me. I recently published a book called Happiness is an Option. And in that book, I'm talking about how we need to reimagine our relationship with the internet. And, and start fresh on what we give our attention to, because that yeah. that's that's yeah, the yeah. whole thing with the internet. It's it's an attention economy, yeah. and people are using our primitive parts of our brain against us. There, that's a whole other conversation. But I'm being interviewed by a lot of newscasters because this documentary called "The Social Dilemma" came out mm-hmm. that explains exactly what they're doing on social media to attract and hold our attention. And I'm sure you have something to say about how our brains work and what we give our attention to and in times of ultimate turmoil. And that this is starting to feel like it. Give us a little, you know, I tell people that that social media is comparison without context. Yeah. And it's designed to be addicting. Talk to us about that. Well, they make more money the more addicted we are because we stay there longer. They can show us more ads. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how do we, you're, you're talking, you're talking so much good advice about self-awareness and what we do when it feels like we're standing in a room with the fire alarm going on. How do, how do you think of us reimagining the way we go forward together? Well, the interesting thing when I'm at a disaster, if I become afraid or angry, everything goes tunnel. So I get tunnel vision, tunnel hearing, tunnel thinking. I'll give you an example, and it's kind of a funny example, but what the heck, you're my friend, so I'll tell you the story. <laughs> so we, when we got to Haiti, it was it took us five days to get to our where we were assigned to, to King's Hospital in Port-au-Prince because of airports being jammed and roads and all this stuff. And and when we were driving into town, there was so much destruction, so many buildings that just collapsed one story on the other story on the other story on the other story. They just went dunk, 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 like a stack of pancakes with you could see furniture sticking out in between the, the floors. It was a nightmare. I mean, it's no wonder I had dreams for months afterwards, but. So I'm thinking, ooh, being in a concrete building in Haiti is a bad thing. I want to live in a tent. But the place that we ended up staying was in a concrete building on the second floor of a concrete building. And like, okay, what's my exit plan? I want to make sure that if there's 
any just a hint of an earthquake, I'm outside. Boom. I, I'm not staying in this building. And so I took off my pants at night and my boots and I stacked them like a firefighter because, you know, I've watched TV and I, I know how they do. So they can jump out of their bed into their pants, right into their boots, pull their pants up and run. Thinking this is smart. I'm going to do it just like they do on TV. So, and then we had to have mosquito nets because there's malaria there. So I get into bed and I'm sleeping in my tidy whities Now, don't start picturing this. I'm in my tidy whities It's like 800 degrees, humid. Yeah, yeah and, I know. You know, and mosquito netting. And it's about 6.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And the world starts shaking. And I'm dreaming that it's my mom shaking my bed saying, Danny, it's time to get up. And then I woke up and went, earthquake and my buddy bob goes earthquake and it was not a little one it was a 6.2 jay leno said calling that an aftershock is like calling telling a woman with twins that the second one is just the afterbirth (laughs) this was a big stinking earthquake so i jump out of bed get untangled from all the mosquito netting i jump out of bed and i can't find my pants and i'm telling you they were gone they were gone. So I'm like having this conversation with myself, would you rather be embarrassed or dead? And I thought embarrassed any day of the week. So I ran downstairs out into the courtyard with my whole team and the whole community. And I'm standing there in my tidy whities and everybody else is dressed. It was like that. It was like that dream that we've all had that where we forgot to put our clothes on and went to school in our underwear. That was me. And, and, and people, I look around and my team starts snickering, start going, <laughs> I'm like, stop. <laughs> then, then this girl that's like 12 years old passes out. And my team is, they have no mercy. They're like, she passed out because she saw you in your tidy whities. But I had to go out and take care of her in front of the whole community. Once the coast was clear and it was all good, we had to go back into the building. I went back upstairs the most embarrassed I've ever been in my entire life. And when I got upstairs, my boots and my pants were right where I put them the night before. Nobody moved them. They were right there at the head of my bed, right where I put them. I couldn't see them because I had such tunnel vision. I was looking through a straw. Never will forget that. And it was like, I know there was nobody that went back in and hit them and moved them, put them back. No, this was tunnel vision through a straw because it was the most scared I've ever been in my entire life. So I have this newfound appreciation for tunnel vision, tunnel hearing, tunnel thinking. You know, it's like I don't envy the police officers that have to make these life and death decisions through a straw because it's the way our brain works. When we get afraid, we drop down to the level of our amygdala, which is very fast but not very bright. By the way, I've, I now wear black boxer briefs because I feel much more comfortable running out of the, my house in my black boxer briefs. So let them learn. But, the, but at the level of your amygdala, your brain will go, yo, hey. If it, and it sees, when it sees something on the path that you're walking on, like snake, and you jump back and you go back later and you look and you go, oh, no, no, it's a stick. Dude, stick. It, and, and you can tell your amygdala, no, stick. Next time you walk down, your amygdala still goes, snake, because it's trained to do that. It's not smart. It's just fast. Mm -hmm. Kahneman wrote about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's incredibly powerful. A great book, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, in disasters, 
we drop down into our amygdala because our brain at its very basis, the, the very root of our brain is designed to keep us safe. So it's yelling snake, you know, all the time to us. When we get down into that level of I'm being threatened mm-hmm. and or I'm stressed or something I care about is at stake, it's easy to go tunnel vision through the straw, snake, or no tidy whitey, no pants, no you know, but oh, run, run, run. It's it, it, and it's so powerful, and it's just the neurobiology of how our brains work. It's something I want to have you comment about before we go on, right there. It's about the stories we're telling ourselves during those moments of panic, because that determines this, all the gaps that we're filling in with knowledge that we don't really have, right? And that's, I'm trying to bring this back to give people some really practical tools we can use right now in this, the pandemic's gone on for six months. We have a very tumultuous political landscape. We've got natural disasters coming out of our ears. So, What's important that you've noticed in these disasters, trying to think fast and be responsible about the stories we're telling ourselves? Well, there's a couple of resources. My, my friend Daniel Friedland wrote a book called Leading Well from Within. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. In that book, he talks about Maslow's hierarchy, and he simplified it down to just three levels, safety, belonging, and significance. And when we drop down into the safety frame, it's hard to see anything. That's where we get the straw, tunnel vision, tunnel hearing, tunnel thinking. The way out of that is through belonging. And then we, when we connect back to each other. So this is why it's important for us to be able to say, hey, I'm hurting right now. Can I just hang out with you? Yeah, how cool is that? Oh, you how know, cool is that? Okay to, to jump on a Zoom call with somebody and not say anything and just communicate nonverbally. You can't do it on the phone very well because people keep saying, are you there? Are you there? But you could do it on Zoom and just say, I just want to sit with you. I want to sit. I want to be with somebody. Can I just sit with you? I, I'm really having a hard time right now. And can we just hang out? Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, it's not weird to do that. But if we're afraid to say, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to know that I'm having a tough time, then, then we stay isolated. And then we drop back down into this safety frame because I feel alone. When we get past that belonging phase, then we get up into significance. And it's related to the parts of our brain, by the way. I mean, Danny does a great job in his book of explaining that. It's You ought to get him on and interview him. At some okay. <laughs> I've already written that down. <laughs> so, I, you know, we're, we've got just a few minutes here. And I, I don't want to leave our topic at all without getting people connected to your world. Because you, uh, you have such an extraordinary way of having us you know, preserve our dignity, talk about what we all have in common and what we do next. What's a good way for people to connect with you? Oh, you can go to the website. It's dandiamondmd.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and the email is events at dandiamondmd.com. I'm doing coaching. I'm doing having a blast doing online events. I've got a whole studio set up. I mean, you've seen it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was- it's so much fun. <laughs> we had some recording trouble in this this particular episode, and Dan has been literally entertaining me with stuff that's making me feel very inadequate. He's got crowd <laughs> sounds and all you kinds have of crowd sounds, yeah. <laughs> rubber chickens going on. You know, I the rubber chicken is kind of a funny story. Tell me the rubber chicken chicken story. The the rubber chicken was our mascot for Katrina. And we didn't tell CNN because this is not the kind of stuff you tell the news media. This is the kind of stuff you share with friends and family. And so, you know, here we go. We had this rubber chicken and we had a bellman's cart. And I have no idea where the bellman's cart came from. It just ended up in the parking lot out in front of the convention center. And so... When we would get patients in wheelchairs, the 82nd Airborne and their heroes, big time, oh my gosh, they saved our bacon in Katrina. 
who are you guys? <laughs> Appreciate you. They they would take the wheelchair with the patient. So we kept losing wheelchairs. But we had this Bellman's cart and we duct taped a chair to the Bellman's cart and it wouldn't fit in the helicopter. So this is how we would wheel people out to the helicopter so we could keep our wheelchairs. And on that Bellman's cart, we taped a rubber chicken. And when people would come to the convention center, it was like a stream of refugees like in the Fiddler on the Roof. And they're hanging their heads down and they're they're just like, oh my gosh. And you can, and rightfully so. They lost their homes, they lost their cars, their belongings, family members. There's so much this heaviness that makes them sag when they're carrying all this baggage to the helicopters to get evacuated. And they'd look over and they'd go, <laughs> Is that, is that is that a rubber chicken? And we'd say, yes, that's a rubber chicken. And they'd go, why, why do you have a rubber chicken? And we'd say, so you do that. And they would stand tall and smile and nod their heads as they walked out to the helicopter. The, the rubber chicken is not making fun of people. It's knowing this. If I play a lighter game... I maintain my ability to see with a wider lens. When I get afraid, I go tunnel and I'm looking through the straw. When I can chuckle, it brings me back to connecting with other people, brings back some hope and some joy. And then I start seeing with a wide angle lens. And I can, if I really stand up well and begin to smile in the midst of these disasters, then I can see down both ways the street at the same time and I can start coming up with solutions and breakthrough. And I can say, hey, really what we want to do is we want to go in that direction over there. If I'm so discouraged that all I can see is the dirt in front of my feet, I can't help anybody. Isn't that the bottom line? So people always ask me, Dan, so what are we to make of all this negative news, the disasters, the politics, the people shouting at each other? And I say, look, you know, the best thing to do is to stand firm and ask yourself, who needs to be afraid now, right this minute? I mean, if your neighborhood isn't burning down, if the fires aren't licking at the pine trees in your backyard, then you still can stay on your feet and be helpful. And that's what we should be doing is that if we're not in immediate harm's way, th those are the people that need to be afraid and, and acting with their amygdala and getting themselves to safety. The rest yeah. of us have to stand tall and be helpful and thoughtful. Well, the way the way out of that safety frame is loving and belonging. Okay. So it comes back to that same that same question. You know, tell, tell us just okay. First I wanna I wanna do some housekeeping and then I want you to talk more about unstoppable love till Brittany gives us a signal yeah, yeah, yeah. how to stop. Okay. okay. I want people to connect with your work. And what I found when I did a deep dive into Dan's work is there's no end to recordings of Dan's insights on the internet. I found a great TEDx talk called Thriving Under Pressure During Corona that was recorded in April. That's fabulous. That was a TEDx. I found another one, How to Make a Difference When Times Are Tough, another TEDx. There is a talk called Understanding Your Different Mindsets. It sounds like a fabulous talk. And then there's a TEDx in Seattle that I didn't get to write down the name with. But my point is, we'll put all these things in the show notes, but you can connect to Dan's insights lots of different ways. And I want yeah, to, too. And, oh gosh, yeah. Tell us yeah, about the book. Yeah. It's called Beyond Resilience, Trench Tested Tools to Thrive Under Pressure. Okay. You know, the resilience in material science is all about, can you bend something and have it returns to return to its original shape? That is so boring. 
I don't want to just go back to where I was before. If I'm going to go through Corona, COVID, all this stuff, I want to end up way better way at the better. other end than when I went in. I don't want to go back to my original shape. No way. Okay. So resilience, trench tested tools to thrive under pressure. That is the gift here in, in this pandemic. If we can lift ourselves, as you say, up from just looking at our shoes in the dirt, we can look around us and find the opportunity and disaster, which I'm sure. Okay. So I didn't get to four of my questions, <laughs> the main ones. So we're just going to talk again another day. Sounds and like I, I want you to spend a minute at least leaving us with some thoughts on unstoppable love. And then I'll ask you my last question. Yeah. I just thinking if, if I am down in my amygdala and struggling and feeling stuck and looking through the straw, trying to find my pants, the way out of that is what does unstoppable love look like? Realizing that it starts with this conversation that I'm having in my head, and then it goes to the conversation I'm having with you. So if I'm feeling afraid and narrow and stuck, I need to be kind, acknowledge that I'm hurting, realize that we're all going through this together, and then reach out to connect to somebody else. What does unstoppable love look like? I don't know. I could sit in my house and be all worked up about the stuff I'm seeing on social media and the news. Or I can call my neighbor up and say, the garbage day today, can I take the can up for you? You know, I mean, some way to reach out. I just realized that it it was garbage night last night and I'm in trouble now. (laughs) Yeah. What is that? That goes out in ever-widening circles. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. Because that person is going to do something extraordinary for the next person. And we never know what shores that sort of thing land on. Yeah. So, Dan, uh, the last question I always ask every thought leader is, you know, ever widening circles, our byline is it is still an amazing world. So I always like to end by asking thought leaders, what proves to you that it's still an amazing world? There, We could spend a day talking about the amazing world. I read once a, a quote recently that if you want to see something new, take the same walk every day. So going outside and looking at the creation and you know, seeing this really cool stuff. We have these blue herons that look like flying pterodactyls that are so cool. I look at that and go, huh. got two eagles that, that live two doors down from me up in a tree. And I look at that and go, oh my gosh, the pterodactyls are way cooler than the eagles, by the way. But I look at that and, you know, for me personally, I look at this and say, I know that God loves me just like I am. And I know I'm okay. And I'm not getting all, you know, religious and weird on you. I just know that I'm loved and it comes back to that. And I'm, am I okay right now? Yeah, right now I'm having a blast because I'm hanging out with my friend Linda. It's like, can I celebrate this right now? Yes. Come on. Yeah. Back to that proximity thing. Yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. Well, I'll tell you. This is a lovely conversation that I know is going to be super helpful to people now, six months from now, six years from now. And I can't thank you enough for just giving us this complete lift in what's possible in the worst of circumstances, even when we think our own situation is the worst. There are so many things I've been taking voracious notes that I've circled, neighbors helping neighbors, the tunnel vision thing. Let's say we all go away from this conversation and we try and give ourselves a cue when we're getting that tunnel vision. And remember that Dan's pants were right there in front of him the whole time. The whole time. 
<laughs> Buy yourself a rubber chicken and carry it around with you. That's it. It'll change your life. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You know, for more information about our guests' work and their in the subjects, anything that we mentioned, check out the show notes down below for links to everything. And as always, dive into Ever Widening Circles, the website. It's a universe that will totally restore your faith in the future and give you a sense of control over what you're giving your attention to on the internet now. You can subscribe to the Everwidening Circles app, and that people ask me every day how they can help. And that's what I tell them the first thing they can do to help is to start subscribe to the app. It's only a dollar a month, but it is like having the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand. And I hope that all the connections you've got here today to goodness and progress carry on through the rest of your week. And you start finding that joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Have a great day. For more information about our guests' work or the subjects we mentioned, check out the show notes for the links. And as always, dive into the Ever Widening Circles universe by visiting us at ewc.co. That's short for Ever Widening Circles, ewc.co. If there are students in your life, turn them loose on the education site that we have at Everwinding Circles. You can find that at ewced.com. And subscribe to the Everwinding Circles app. People are always asking me what they can do to help. This is the number one thing you can do to help our efforts. For less than a dollar a month, you will have the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand with our app. And that $1 will help us send a signal to content creators that people will support positive content. And big news, <laughs> we will be hosting the first Conspiracy of Goodness Summit on October 4th. You can get tickets to that and be able to enjoy the recorded program thereafter at cogsummit.com. Cog is short for Conspiracy of Goodness. C-O-G Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T dot com. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through your week and you start finding all that joy and wonder we've been talking about.